Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 194 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we'll be discussing the 17-year-old that just got signed by the UFC, Francis Ngannou's lack of a contract offer, Chael Sonnen's comments on the welterweight title picture, and we'll be previewing select fights from Bellator 285. Now, Victor, we are in week one of back-to-back weekends off without a UFC, and I'm going to go ahead and just admit it. I'm welcoming this little breather. Are you? I'm. Are you? Is this like a, a serious and honest question right now? Do you have any idea how happy this makes me? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a beautiful thing, you know, because you have not only do you get sort of like a bit of breathing room for us to be able to do our stuff, but we also get to focus on things that aren't as centered around a particular event. You know, like when the pandemic kicked off, you know, there was a lot. Of, there was still a lot of stuff to talk about. You know, this stuff never ends. The, the, the train doesn't stop when it comes to this particular thing. So it, it's uh, it's interesting to me that this is what we're going with and, and that, you know, we do have – I mean, look, we got Bellator this weekend. We got Ryzen this weekend. Um, Shakur Stevenson, apparently that fight is still happening. So if you're a boxing head, that's going to mm-hmm. be something. Joyce versus Parker also happening. So, like, yeah, man, it's it's – it's fine. Like, there's still plenty of action, but at least there's going to be a lot less clutter, I guess. There's a lot less of the hoopla and the usual going through the motions that you see with some of this coverage that inevitably ends up being a little clumsy. We don't have that here. That's that's actually rather nice. It sure is. It's it's also very nice to not have to split yourself up amongst three or four events to ha- to provide coverage. So I'm I'm enjoying this little bit of a respite. But I have been watching some other stuff. And among those things, I did watch Dana White's Contender Series. That's going to be our first lead story here. And 17-year-old Raul Rosas, he received a contract. He is 17 years old. Now, He's got he's gotten in there and he's fought his ass off. He's a great grappler. He got the win. Uh he's he's been impressive all along. So I don't really mind him being in there. I mean, we came up, you and I came up on uh Rory McDonald having had his first professional bout when he was like 15 or 16. We came up with young guys always being in on the fight scene. Now, he did have parental permission. They signed a waiver for him and everything. If you look at him, he's he's not a little dude, you know. <laughs> and he's he's very very well-versed in combat arts. He knows what the hell he's doing. So I'm not as upset about this as a lot of people are. I think the main thing we need to hang on to is that he has parental permission. Now, the other part of this story, though, it goes a little bit farther out than than Mr. Rosa's here because they signed all five of the winners from the Contender Series. And what that tells me is that they are going to be doing this a little bit more frequently. Maybe we're not going to see uh, instances where guys that go for a takedown late in the fight don't get signed despite the fact that they win. Now we're looking at, guy, at guys immediately getting that contract if they win. And that's that's saying something. That's saying that we're going to get a lot more floodgates opening for these contender series guys and gals to come in to the regular ranks and make 10 and 10. And we are going to be seeing a lot of watered down cards with contender series fighters on them. Do they provide action? Sure. Absolutely. You can almost guarantee that a card with a bunch of contender series people on it is going to deliver because they they go hell for leather. But are those fights going to be impactful? Do they matter in the rankings? Do they matter in the title picture? No. So this is going to be basically like the, the card we just had. There's going to be two or three important fights and everything else is going to be filler. 
This further illustrates what a genuine success contender series is for the business model of the UFC. And I don't mean that they're breaking records with viewership. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that they've been doing this for what, five years now or something like that. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's been just packing cards and packing cards. And even if you don't win on contender series, like Bill Algeo, right? He he lost a decision in his uh, foray there, but he managed to get brought back and signed eventually, right? These guys, you know, just because you lose once doesn't mean that they can't bring you back for another contender series event or that they wouldn't sign you to the UFC outright in case of a major pinch where they have no one else and they need to fill a spot. What it also does is that it guarantees that anybody coming in is coming in on a minimum contract. And that's the big thing, right? The main uh, number that keeps getting floated around is that it's 10 and 10, which, you know, (laughs) look, we were seeing guys get signed and fighting for 12 and 12. Nah, not really. Not if we can avoid that. It, it, what it gives me the impression of is that this whole thing has worked so well to their benefit in terms of penny pinching that they can afford to with the uh, with the market salary caps that they impose on their own. To when, once you free up some of that by letting some of these bigger names go, you can sign you know four or five of these dudes. You know how, how much is Robbie Lawler making per fight? About one hundred, two thousand, hundred, two hundred thousand. Right. I, I like the 2,000 better. 2,000 2,000 <laughs> Yes, this is good because, yes, and, and I can promise you when I tell you this, I'm completely sober. So, you know, I just had a very long week. Uh, so let's say let's say you got a fighter on that of that caliber or like a, a, an Andre Arlovsky who's making about, you know, 150 to $250,000. That's like that's like what? That, that's like at least 10 dudes mm-hmm. from Contender Series that you can have at any given moment. Why would you want to jeopardize that at any point? And the other thing is, and this is where you start getting into the problems of the show itself, right? The fact that it prioritizes finishes over anything else. The fact that there are some stupendous mismatches once you just scratch a slight bit of the surface level. The fact that there is apparent um, bias in how some of these matches are set up. And I don't mean that they're doing any sort of – I don't think there's any sort of – match fixing or anything like that. I don't want this to be misinterpreted, but you can tell when they have a guy who's coming in and like, yo, this guy can be the next new hot thing. And they put him in there against a guy who's definitely not there to be the next hot thing. You know, this is not a collision of premier prospects, which they do to their credit have a lot of though. I mean, they, they, they have had fights and I say this very frequently in, in the previews that I do every week. There are fights between two contestants that like, listen, the UFC should have signed both of these guys and not have to put them through this whole song and dance. But there is no financial incentive to do so. And so that brings us to this situation here. It put Rosas in there against a very tough and very determined veteran. He was up against a guy who's also a very good grappler, a guy who's up, you know, a little bit more capable with his power in his hands. And Rosas goes in there. He has a bit of a tighter uh, time at first, but then he slowly starts to take over and he establishes supremacy with his grappling. He had him in some really rough spots. He could have probably finished some at some point, but I mean, the dude, you know, Marco just refused to go away. And that's fine. Look, I, I, you know, I'm not having any sort of indictment on the kid's skill, his talent or anything like that. But I had a bit of a mini convo with Zane Simon on Twitter uh, the other day exactly about what is so uncomfortable about this. And it's the fact that you have a fighter that comes in early. They're going to peter out earlier. The injuries are going to start accumulating earlier. They peak earlier. They might not have all of their shit together in terms of their personal life and, you know, just growing in the sport and growing as a man, that's a very, uh, that's a very tough spot to be in. And when you add to that, the fact that when you get someone like Sage Northcutt, who shows a lot of promise early, and then they put him in some brutal booking that he's not ready for, you flame out real quick. And that doesn't do anybody any favors. You're not moving tickets. You're not moving ratings. You're not, you're not, you're not capitalizing properly on this. So my hope is that they slow roll this a little bit. And we've seen, like, I'm glad you mentioned too, that we've seen fighters that have come in, people that have been fighting super early, right? Rory McDonald being one of them. Caro Parisian mm-hmm. and KJ Nunes making their way to Mexico. There's that video of Caro that resurfaced not too long ago. In Mexico, 16 years old, fighting a grown-ass man, damn near twice his age, mm-hmm. and whooping his ass. I mean, that is a special level of athlete. And, uh, you know, you don't want to hold it against him. Like, there's no real reason that he shouldn't have the opportunity to participate in the sport if he's got, you know, as long as he is of sound mind and his parents are down for it and he's adequately trained and adequately paired against comparable opposition, then I am okay with it. What I'm worried about is that they're going to put this kid in there. I mean, it's he's he's five foot nine. He's a bantamweight. 
I don't want him getting fast-tracked and fighting, I don't know, Hani Yaya two weeks from now. You know what I mean? I, I don't I don't want him fighting some of these dudes that have either been close to the top 10 or, you know, in it no matter how long ago it was. You, you really want to make sure that you're having a much more um, humane approach to this and be very selective, not necessarily give him easy fights. But you also want to take into consideration the experience level is quite low, as is the case with a lot of these participants, especially this year where a lot of the fighters, most of the fighters that I've noticed in contender series have had less than 10 fights overall as professionals. So, you know, that these are all things that we need to consider here. This is not maybe the worst thing that could happen, but it's going to be a pretty bad look if he goes out in his UFC debut and he gets bloodied up real bad. To your points about exploding on social media and stuff like that. Apparently, Mr. Rosas had less than 3,000 followers before his fight. But today, he has over 120,000. So you can almost imagine that the UFC is salivating over this, and they are not going to move him slowly. They are mm-hmm. going to do exactly what they did with Edmund Shabazian and Hamza Chemaev. They're going to throw him in the deep end quick because they can, because the guy has a big following already. He's the it boy right now. So we are going to see some uh, exploitation. I'm very, very certain of that. Well, how, how old was Chase Hooper when he was on a contender series? It wasn't that long ago. He was, he was 19, I believe. 19 years yeah. old. Jesus Christ. Look at that. He can't even get into a titty bar. Yeah, you're beating people up for money. That's the crazy thing about it. And you know what the worst thing is? The UFC isn't going to look at this and say, well, okay, we have something here with this kid. We have... Um, a talent that we can capitalize on who's got a bit of a personality and he's gaining some sort of, of uh, popularity. They're going to say, no, no, no. He got the UFC bump. He made that happen on our platform. Therefore, right. Yeah. It's going to be one of those rationales and we're going to end up with, you know, unfortunately, and and as much as I want to hope that we won't have um, that fast tracking, but I do, I do think that it's going to be pretty much like you said, I do think he's going to be probably, you know, one or two wins later, He's probably going to be in a situation where even if he comes out on top, he probably shouldn't be taking a particular fight. And uh, yeah, I, I worry about that. But they're, that's that's just how they operate. That's just what they do. And no one's going to stop him. Yeah. I mean, he's he's the it boy right now, despite the fact that there was a, a former pro NFL player on the, the same contender series. He also got a contract. But. All the talk, all the hullabaloo is around Raul Rosa. So Yeah, but you also have the novelty of a young guy who can mm-hmm. grapple super well to the point where it's one of those things where he's talented beyond his age. I will absolutely grant him that. I've seen teenagers that train jiu-jitsu. They don't look as smooth as this guy. I, I've seen very few grapplers at that level, that that age range that have been able to do what that guy did and shut down somebody that was more experienced than them to that degree. So I, I do grant them that. And, and if you also look at the fact that Austin Lane, he'd been on a contender series before he lost to Greg Hardy. Um, he was finished by strikes, which is, you know, like a, a, a bigger, um, a bigger, I guess, weight against you in terms of how the UFC sort of treats losses and how fans are conditioned to treat losses as a result of that same for treatment. Uh, I, I think that might also be a bit of it, but you all, the, the bigger thing to me is like, hey, this could be the youngest champ ever. You could be witnessing history. I think that might be a bit more of the angle that they were trying to, um, to, sure. to float that's, here. That's basically the point I was illustrating is that yeah. there's more hubbub around this kid than there is around a former NFL player and probably rightly so. I don't know. I'm 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 still – not as upset about this as I thought I would be because I guess I am conditioned to having young guys and gals come into various promotions really, really early. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that happens, you know, that happens. And this is all uh, just another, another side of what happens when you're pursuing greatness and you, um, you 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 go through that grind and you try to see what kind of reward is at the end of it, you know, and that is prize fighting in a nutshell. And 
now that we're talking about that, we're going to talk to some, about somebody who has been trying to pursue that big prize, who has also been trying to work on that grind, and who also uh, came in with a bit of buzz and managed to create some pretty um, impressive moments upon his arrival in the UFC. And that's Francis Ngannou, who was talking to a friend of the podcast, Jimmy Smith. Hi, Jimmy. In an interview recently where he was addressing the situation as far as like, dude, hey, What's going on with you in the UFC, man? You asked for them to back up the Brinks truck, as Mookie says, and they have they done that yet? Has anyone offered at least an olive branch and uh, a pair of new balances? What's going on with you and them and money? What he had to say about it, not exactly very reassuring. And I'm going to quote, take the quote that he had, had here. My contract status right now is still the same. I haven't received any offer. It's the same. I hope, like in the next two to three months, we get to deal with that, to solve that. It's not surprising to me. I think we're not in a rush. I'm not in a rush either. I'm not going anywhere, so I'm not rushing. At the end of the day, we have a lot of time. Okay. Um, I initially thought when I saw this that maybe the situation would have been a bit worse. We do need to pay a bit of attention to this because it's not your usual contract dispute. It's not your usual situation of a fighter asking for more and not getting it back. Number one, you're looking at a guy who's not only holding the belt, but he's been one of the most dynamic and sensational champions, save for maybe one or two performances in the past that the UFC has seen in a very long time. He's holding the belt. He's got the cachet. He's got swag. He's got some bit of notoriety outside of fighting. He was in Jackass forever. He's been doing a couple of commercial spots here and there. And on top of that, he has got a buzzsaw of a manager in Markel Martin, who used to work for the UFC and has already had a couple of spats online with Dana White, spats in which he's made Dana look not too great, if you remember. So we're looking at a guy who's got a lot more leverage than the average cat and is waiting on a deal even though he hasn't fought in some time. But maybe he's right. Maybe this is just a matter of waiting because he does have all of these things at his disposal. He does have the advantage of being someone who people want to pay to see, who has got a bit of a, uh, you know, you can't avoid him. You know, he's the guy at the top and anybody who wants a piece of the crown is going to have to take it from him with, you know, tooth and nail. I'm curious, though, should he be worried that this is taking as long as it is? Or is this just kind of the way things should play out in terms of how things uh, should be when you're trying to be methodical, when you're trying to negotiate things properly? Is there some sort of overreaction? Should there be any level of concern regarding that? Or do you think that he might as well uh, keep waiting things out because things behind the scene might be moving better than people from the outside would speculate it to be? You didn't say it in this uh, exact wording, but I, I feel like your intent was this way. This is a situation that needs an eyeball carefully peeled on it at all times. Yeah. I don't think it's time to get in an uproar, but at the same time, I don't think we should take our eye off of it either. I don't think the UFC is going to shoot themselves in the foot and leave an out for him to easily get away from them. So he's already fought the last fight on his contract. So actually, I don't know how it works as far as if they need to offer within the six-month time frame or if they can uh, wait until the actual expiry period, which I believe is sometime in January, that they the matching period is over at all. So if they haven't offered anything to him thus far, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to let him go or they're going to wait until the very end and punish him with a last minute offer to try and get him to stay or to just prolong things, which is kind of fucked up. But uh, the UFC is kind of known for doing fucked up stuff. So <laughs> I'm not going to put anything past them, but I agree with you. I think it's just a situation that is unfolding and we just need to keep our eye on it. Yeah. It seems like this is a lot less volatile because they do have to manage this carefully. I mean, he does have the champions clause in his contract, but if he already fought out his contract, is there any way he might be able to, I, I don't think that there's any opportunity for him to fight elsewhere or like, you know, go box or whatever as he's expressed in the past, given the fact that he's got that clause. But man, listen, <laughs> you got the guy essentially holding your belt hostage because you don't want to pay him. Ah, that's not a good one, man. That's not good. 
So yeah. our next topic is about Hamza Chimaev. And my goodness, Chael Sonnen <clears throat> has an entirely different look on where Ch- uh, Hamza Chimaev's next fight is going to be. And he seems to think that Hamzat is next in line for Leon, Leon Edwards, not Kamara Usman. Now, if you are one of those people that still believes in, in Chael's commentary and his links to the back room, to the brass, then this, uh, this quote that I'm going to read to you might be interesting. I don't believe that Kamaru Usman is going to be fighting Leon next. I believe that Kamaru's next fight will not be for the belt. I think they're going to keep him on ice. I think Hamza versus Leon is a real possibility with the winner drawing Kamaru after. I think that when you have those three and you're going to match them up, the order does matter. And I think what I just presented is a more viable order. He makes some valid points here because there's no denying, especially with the way that Dana spoke so glowingly about Hamza after such a tremendous weight miss, talking about how special he is and how this kid is going to go far. He's a future champ. I mean, Dana cannot stop falling over himself with this guy. And so I look at that and I think that there might be some validity to what what Shale is saying. So I was wrong about his hand injury because I had originally thought it happened after this fight, but apparently it happened a while ago and he did have a hand surgery, but it was back in April. Now, for the fight that he just had with Leon Edwards, he did receive a 180-day suspension due to the possibility of a broken nose but we all know those 180-day suspensions don't actually always play out that way, right? Like, we've seen people come back from a six-month suspension much earlier. Am I correct? Well, you also have to remember that these are largely contingent on, like, a doctor's right. second opinion exactly. and things like that. So, you know, yeah, they there we've seen instances where... Someone will get a, a suspension for six months or, you know, three months and come right no, they're, back. They're, they're back sooner. Yes. So I look at that and I think, well, you know, we can't put too much too much weight behind the six month suspension. But we can put a lot of weight behind Dana White's comments and how much he loves Hamza Chimaev. So Chael's comments seem like they could go either way. It's not one of those instances where I'm going to go, Chael is talking out of his ass. I don't know what he's saying here. (laughs) I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way at all. I think there could very well be reason to think that he might be right. I'm not saying that he is, but I will consider it. I'm in the same boat. Look, man, the thing with Chael is lately, especially, he's been talking so much shit. He's been saying some stuff like, dude, really? Like, where are you getting this from? I, I, you know, there's a lot of, there's, it's one thing to have uh, a healthy and educated guess. It's one thing to have speculation fueled by and based on information that you might have uh, using passes prologue sometimes. Um, look, you know, connecting the dots of what is currently taking place. And sometimes Chael just comes out of left field with some stuff that you're like, but we never really talk about it again. No one ever really needs to call him out because it's like, all right, the machine keeps moving. No one's going to remember this shit a month from now. And it's fine. It's, you know what, whatever. It's just Chael being Chael, I guess. And no one passed a thousand in this game anyway. So whatever. This might be, especially considering the fact that Usman, I mean, he got slept. You know, and I'm pretty sure that Leon is not going to want to wait until next year if he's looking to really capitalize on his time as champion. Uh, He's not afraid of Chimaev. He's definitely uh, looking to go out there and slay the boogeyman that everyone's kind of been uh, not necessarily avoiding, but cautious about, you know, and and I think that that uh, could lend some credence to the possibility that, yeah, maybe he might get the shot instead of – instead of Usman getting the immediate rematch, just by virtue of the fact that you're looking at a timing matter in a business where, look, we're, we're almost in October, right? This is the home stretch. Every organization in, on the planet stacks up their winters. We know this. The year-end bash, like we, we're all used to this happening. The UFC does it. Ryzen does it. Bellator does it. We know that this is what's going to happen. You think they're going to not 
you think you're just going to not capitalize on the opportunity to have a very fresh Jemayev who took no damage against Kevin Holland and and have him vie for a title as they've been wanting for a very long time. I guess so Leon Edwards, it, yeah, well, he did take his lumps against Usman. You know, he, he's not, he's, he was not injured to the degree where he would need to be out for six, seven, eight months. He could fight by the end of the year. I, I didn't have, from what I'm seeing in his training videos and uh, the way he's moving around on social media, yeah, he, he seems like he's fine and he's going to continue to be fine. And that is precisely why this makes sense. I don't, I'm not saying that because Chael said it, but I'm saying that because, well, okay, if you if you look at the again connecting the dots, right? This is what we know, and this is what we have. And if we look at how practices have been conducted in the past by all parties involved, sure, why not? So cool. I, I you know, chill. Actually, while it might seem a little crazy when you hear it at first, it's not really that crazy at all. I think it's totally possible. You know, before we move on, real quick, I think you hit the nail on the head. Here's Hamzat, who has taken literally no damage in his last fight. And here's Leon, who was basically losing his fight to Kamaru before the ending sequence, which wasn't luck. It wasn't a fluke or anything like that. That was skill. However, Leon is probably a much easier out than Israel Adesanya. Now, I know a lot of you are going to default to Dana's comments that we will probably, and I'm using that in, in my air quotes because that is what he said, we will probably see Hamza compete at middleweight at some point. But he never said when, he never said next, and he never said that he was taking him out of welterweight or he's going to force a move or whatever. And what he did say was just nothing but glowing comments. Normally, if someone had missed, anyone had missed by nearly eight pounds, <laughs> you know, Dana would have thrown them under the bus and got in, drove it himself and reversed and drove forward and reversed and drove forward about 14 times before he let it go. But none of that occurred with Hamzat. And mm. that to me signals that they want Hamzat to be a champion and the easiest path to to the title is probably at welterweight. Yeah, I mean and I'm not even so sure that like easiest in the sense well I mean okay sure I, mean, I don't I don't think power. he's going to be terribly undersized against everybody at middleweight but since he's already carved that much you know he's he's already made inroads so deeply at welterweight at this point it's like why give up on the project you know I kind of, but I do think you're right. It, it is funny that even though he missed by almost a full weight class, he, he didn't get the steamroller from Austin Powers run over him. You know, no, no, and that no. is that is that is super funny, and it is odd that nobody's addressing that. I'm glad you brought that up. For sure. Mm. Well, speaking of steamrollings, we're going to move on to something that we kind of alluded to a little earlier. Uh, I mentioned that Ryzen is taking place this weekend, and it is a supercard that is being split up into two events for one reason. And that is the fact that Floyd Mayweather is going to be making his return to the ring in an exhibition match against <laughs> against Mikuru Asakura, yes, of the famed Asakura brothers. And uh, he's going to be at the Saitama Super Arena, right? The 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 big uh, uh, the, the the big daddy of all uh, combat sports venues in Japan right now. Why not? Sure. Hey, somebody's getting paid here, and and you know Asakura just happened to be the guy. He's making his pro debut. He's never boxed professionally before in his life, and he's going to be taking on a guy who's fifty and zero. Despite the fact that this is an exhibition, it's still a boxing match. It's very real with very real gloves and very real hits. And uh, if the scenario seems reminiscent of anything, it should remind you, of course, of Conor McGregor. Boom. Boy, howdy. That guy just keeps staying in, in the news somehow, no matter what. He just has to keep crowbarring his way through. But this this was brought upon without his involvement. Uh, it turns out that even though he hasn't fought Asakura yet, although we could pretty much assume it's a foregone conclusion that Asakura will not be getting the best of him, Mayweather's already talking about the fact that – or about the possibility of fighting Conor McGregor in a rematch in the year of our Lord 2023. Here's what he said about the matter when he was asked about this. He was talking to the Daily Mail, which, my goodness, why did you have to talk to them? Quote, I want to go out there this weekend and have fun. Then I have another exhibition in Dubai in November. And me and Conor McGregor in 2023. We don't know if it's going to be an exhibition or a real fight. There's been talks of both. I would prefer an exhibition. Oh, okay. That's nice. And then he says this. 
I'm not into fights where I'm going to take any real punishment. <laughs> so guys like Conor McGregor and guys that don't really hit hard, such as YouTubers or UFC guys, I don't really mind colliding with those kinds of individuals, but nothing where I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm going to harm myself or hurt myself. I don't know about you, man. That sounds kind of... Okay, look, if he's being 100% serious about this, it's not exactly the best look. I mean, it is a level of blunt honesty that's fine. But you're also talking about the fact that you know you're going into these hilarious mismatches because some poor saps are willing to fork over money for it to happen. And there's plenty of blood money and bad money and dumb money in this world to make these things a possibility. I mean, this weekend's example is that of very, very dumb money that uh, they're using this guy to bring eyeballs to a product that doesn't really need him for those eyeballs to be there. But sure. But let's look at the fact that he is looking at talking or or looking at fighting Conor McGregor soon. He says he wants an exhibition. I saw a rumor earlier in the week that Conor McGregor wants this to be a professional fight. And that seems to be part of the impasse. No word whatsoever on what the UFC's opinion is on this. And they should have a final say because guess what? Conor's still got fights on his contract. I believe he's got two more. Uh you know, Connor doesn't decide when this happens or if it happens. The UFC does. As much like last time, even though combined, both of them made over $400 million, Connor's cut wasn't half of that. And uh, even if you were to, even if it were split down the middle, Connor wasn't getting half of that. He was still going to be subject to having the UFC taking a little bit off the top because of the fact that they were the ones that loaned out their contracted talent to Mayweather Promotions to make that fight a possibility. I have no doubt that they'll do something like that again. But hey, listen, a couple hundred million dollars is way better than zero. I'm sure that Connor would take it. I would expect that. If, you know, given Mayweather's statements, he really has no problem with taking any of these bouts because, A, he's a defensive genius still at his old age. And B, you know, look, he talked a fair amount of shit here. Maybe there was a psychological bit there where he's like, hey, these guys don't hit hard anyway. Who cares? I'll fight any of these dudes because they're all pillow fisted. Could be bravado in marketing. Maybe it was honest. I'm not entirely sure. But we're not really going to delve into that. I really want to look into the logistics of whether or not this is really feasible or necessary. Does the UFC need for Conor McGregor to go out there and box and get beat up like this? And should they actually go ahead and loan him out to Mayweather to get embarrassed like that yet again? I, If I'm the UFC, I wouldn't. And there's 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 other aspects to this too logan paul is still saying that floyd mayweather hasn't paid him for their fight last year i don't know if the ufc is willing to hold hands with somebody and co-promote that is now establishing a history of not paying and we all know that floyd mayweather has had numerous numerous problems in the past with with money because he spends like a crazy person And he surrounds himself with all the wrong people. He has been in trouble with the IRS, I believe, two times already. Just two? Just two. Well, I could be more, but I know of at least two times. We'll we'll just say that. Hmm. I look at all of these uh, exhibition matches that he's taking over the past year and a half, two years, and it just seems like he's always needing more money. And it's because his spending habits are absurd. So I look at this and I just think that maybe the UFC doesn't want to damage Connor's brand anymore because they need to retain what's left of it for whatever fight they decide to put him in. And also because Floyd is has become a little unstable as far as his finances go. And I don't know that the UFC wants that kind of hassle. I don't know that they want to have to sue somebody to get them to hold up their end of the deal. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna actually uh, as as a as a, a couple of counterpoints here to that. If anybody can withstand the reputational damage of getting clowned by Mayweather yet again, it's probably going to be Connor, you know, because he does have for that sure. level of star power and crossover ability. But I meant that for for the UFC's view of Connor. Okay, he hasn't had a win over anybody but Donald Cerrone since 2016. Yes, so that's right. So you can't keep making your massive millions off of him if he keeps losing. Right, but here's so the thing. If he takes Maybe another loss to a now a 45 year old. By the time this happens, he could be 46. A loss like that would would you consider the following? Number one, 
I don't know who the Pauls deal with in terms of their business, but the UFC seem like they've kind of got their shit together and contractually sure, would not. But, but you know, they they, really they, this mean, whole thing, like, you know, Floyd didn't pay us. Like, I don't think that would happen with them. I, I don't think so either. But only because they would have to do a lot of extra work to make sure, you know, probably redo contracts, blah, blah, blah. I just doubt that they would go in as quickly this time as they did before. Right. Because now Floyd is surrounded with money issues and problems and allegations that he's not paying people. Right. And then he's he's 46 now. If Connor takes a huge loss to him, remember, when's the last time Floyd knocked anybody out in a fight? I'll tell you <laughs> when. It was Connor. And before that, it was many, many, many years. I mean, that's got a sting. The okay, but let, let me let me ask you this though. Let me ask you this because the UFC isn't hurting for money like they were last time around, right? They they're definitely they're they're in a much then. different position. Um, would it not be perhaps in their best interest that if they know they're going to put Connor in a situation where he's going to be fighting a top guy at lightweight or welterweight, and he's probably going to get embarrassed there too? Would you rather not have him at least go out in boxing and then be like, well, look, we made a bunch of money off him and hey, it was boxing. It's not relevant to this. Like, do you think they might not take that tack? I'm, I'm just curious to see what you what you think about that. I don't know, because I don't know mm. how much money they're they're going to command together, especially in light of the fact that Connor's on a downward spiral. Yeah. Floyd is old and also seems to be spiraling a little bit. I don't know if they want to dirty up their hands with it when they're making money hand over fist without. And yeah. to your point, they're they were they're in a much better position now than they were then. No, they're not. Because when that happened, they had just come off the tremendous sale of the UFC. They were riding very, very, very high. I, I, I seem to remember it differently because I think you know they had the purchase, but they still have the, the giant uh outstanding debt over their heads which you know they've got a lot less of now i don't that, know that maybe was, i'm misremembering I, I could be wrong here that that was mitigated with the sale though a lot yeah. of it was mitigated with the sale and the other stuff remember it was the it was endeavor that undertook a lot of it not yeah. ufc yeah. i just think that i don't know i just think that maybe the ufc takes a flyer on this one i mean if i'm them i would i mean this is ridiculous yeah. oh all right, so we are going to move on to choosing Bellator 285 for good, good fights on that card that I selected for us. But before we do, we are going to take a quick look back on our weekly picks recap. <laughs> and my goodness, Mookie is on top again. He went four and three. His picks were Fluffy Hernandez, Tanner Bozer, Joseph Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer, excuse me, Bill Aljeo, Chidi and Chukwani, Corey Sandhagen, and Canelo. And what he got right was Fluffy Hernandez, Joseph Pfeiffer, uh, Corey Sandhagen, and Canelo. And then I came in second. I went three and four. I got Canelo, uh, Joseph Pfeiffer, and Fluffy Hernandez. Victor, you had had two good weeks where you were running and winning, but yeah. You fell off your horse. <laughs> mm -hmm. You went two That's and right. five. You did get Joseph Pfeiffer and Corey Sandhagen correct, but Triple G did not win that fight. Chidi and Jukawani crumbled. Bill Aljeo got outworked. Tanner Bozer huffed and puffed. And Barrio got submitted. Man, I shot that horse in the fucking throat. That's what happened. <laughs> I didn't get off it. I, I I jumped off it as as it as it ran towards a ravine and just blip, 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 blip. that's that's what happened. Did you at least puff puff pass before? <laughs> and I wish, dude. Shit, weekend's coming, man. The night is young. <laughs> so our official standings, Mookie, still in the lead, a hundred and four and sixty four and three. I am behind him by three. I am a hundred and one. 67 and 3 and Victor you are 93 75 and 3 but the year is not over there's plenty of room to uh make a comeback so bearing that in mind let's let's start with our picks we're going to start with Mads Burnell and Carvalho how do you have that one going 
I don't know, man. I don't. I'm not thrilled about it. Um, it it's a it's a tough matchup. I mean, Carvalho can crack, but you know, Brunel can too. And Brunel's grappling is pretty damn good, and he's really, really um, super he's durable. Really, really capable with his striking uh, in terms of using that to transition to his, you know, his phase shifting, right? Going from striking to grappling and then back. I mean, he's he's just a, a real. Um, he can be a real buzzsaw, and he can overwhelm people pretty easily. But Carvalho's got that horse strength. He's really good at shucking dudes off and staying upright when he needs to. But also, I'm looking at the fact that Carvalho, I mean, he's he is an SBG Ireland guy, I think. So, I mean, you know, like, I, I don't – I'm not saying this to be – dismissive i don't i i promise you look i don't have anything against the gym personally i really don't uh i have my misgivings about kavanaugh's personal opinions i'll put that out there with no shame but that has nothing to do with the body of work here and carvello has had some excellent performances i just don't know that i think brunel is just the kind of grappler that's smart enough and durable enough to keep himself out of, you know, the, the larger dangers and start being able to work on the minutia of his game. And that's going to ultimately pay off and end up uh, getting another submission win for him. So I'm going to pick Burnell. Yeah. I'm also going to take Burnell um, for all the reasons you stated, but also because Burnell's very, very durable. Uh, mm. We cannot get around that. Now I know Pedro is going to have a, a big height and reach advantage on him, but Burnell is very good at getting in the phone booth. He makes that entry and he stays put too. So I, I like this, whether it hits the, the the ground or if it stays upright, it's going to be good. But I'm taking Mads Burnell and Mookie is also taking Mads Burnell. Now we get to our next fight. <laughs> Leah McCourt is taking on Diana Silva. Good fight. Uh, Diana Silva is a little bit uh, more the veteran here. She's 10 and 7. Leah McCord is 6 and 2. They're similar in height. There's just an inch difference between them. Uh, Leah McCord is 5'7. Diana Silva is 5'6. This is obviously being fought at uh, women's featherweight at 145 pounds because Bellator has a very deep women's featherweight division. I am going to take Leah McCourt here, though. I mean, this girl seems to have, be putting it all together. I, yeah, I, I like this fight a lot. I don't know a whole lot about Diana Silva, but I have watched Leah McCourt's fights and I like what I'm seeing. So I am going to take Leah McCourt here. And I believe, um, yes, Mookie is also taking Leah McCourt. I'm also going with McCord. Silva is very, very tough, but she's already got a very established ceiling. You know, she's lost to Mariana Moraes and, uh, you know, uh, Julia Budd and Arlene Blenko. And these are women that are really capable of bullying her and putting pressure. And even though she did notch a decision win earlier this year against Janae Harding, um, I don't know that that's enough to give me the kind of confidence to say that she'll be able to deal with the sort of pace and distance management that McCord is able to employ. Now, I think that she might be able to have some control in the clinch and maybe be the stronger of the two in this particular matchup. I just don't trust her. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I, I no, no, no disrespect here, but I think McCord probably just has more um, athletically overall that uh, would present certain threats to, to Silva's style and the way that she sets things up. All right. So we're going to get to our next bout, which is Yoel Romero taking on Melvin Manhoof. And oh Jesus Christ, you were talking Jesus about Christ, really awful matchmaking, oh my God. sending people to the, sending the lamb to the slaughter. I cannot help but think Manhoof is the lamb here. Victor, how do you see this going? It's a big, it's a big, big side of lamb, a big juicy side of lamb right here, man. This, this ain't even like, bro. <laughs> I've told this story before on the podcast. What are the Madison Square Garden show with Fedor and Mitrion and Sonnen and 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 and, uh, and Vanderlei? I remember I was walking to the back, and I walked past this dude. And I'm like, hey, I know that dude, and I look a little closer. It's Melvin Manhoff, and I was shocked. Because this dude was literally like half an inch shorter than me. 
And I, you know, that's when I did the whole Cat Williams. I can't do the Cat Williams impression today. I'm sorry, kids. I'm not going to try it today. But it's like, you know, damn, I thought this dude was was bigger. And he's like, oh, well, on paper, he's 5'8", which is like, okay, yeah, no, you're not. But he's going to be fighting six-foot-tall Romero, who is also a powerhouse, who is an extraordinary wrestler, who still has that chin. I, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. There's no way I'm going to pick against Romero on this. I don't care if he's 50, 11 years old. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to do it. I don't think I need to add much more to that. I am also taking Romero, as is Mookie. And Mookie's comment was, LOL, what a fucking stupid fight. And I couldn't agree more. (laughs) You know, it's funny. When he gets back from Ireland, Romero, when he gets back to Florida, his AARP should be arriving in the mail any moment. So that's good. (laughs) Funny you should mention AARP. Uh, When I turned 40 many years ago, <laughs> I started getting AARP notices in the mail like I was 90. And to this day I'm I accuse my husband of doing it as a joke because oh God. I mean it never fails at least once a month I get AARP mail. And so for the past few years since I didn't, you know, well, a little bit more than a few, uh since I turned 40, <laughs> I firmly believe my husband played the meanest practical joke on me by enrolling me in AARP. Listen, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad because I've been getting this since I was 35. Really? And nobody so signed me not- up. It's No, it's it's them. The problem is them, not Eric. I'm not blaming him. <laughs> I defend this man. Don't let it die. But I want that on record. Put that on wax, Yana. He, he definitely feels like you are family, so it's a good thing. Now, oh, we are going to get to the main event, and it is Benson Henderson taking on Peter Queeley. This is uh, actually a little more difficult to choose than I would mm. have thought. Mm-hmm. I don't know which way to go here because, you know, sure, Bendo got the, that win over Islam Mamadev in a split decision that some people think he did not win. But before that, he was on a three-fight losing streak. Brent Primus, Jason Jackson, and Michael Chandler. And we've got Peter Queeley here who had see he's he's got a a little bit better time going in he has lost his last fight to patricky freire but right before it he had beaten patricky pitbull for those of you that don't know his real last name he also had a win over ryan scope right before that but miles price beat him before that he's kind of win lose win lose there's a couple in here where he's ha- he manages to string together two uh, wins before that. Oh, so he's strung together three wins. Then he's got a loss. Then he's got two wins. Then a loss. And then three wins. And that's that's his whole record. I just feel like maybe we are watching the much more rapid decline of Benson Henderson than we would have thought maybe three or four years ago. I don't know. I think I'm more inclined to take Queeley here, especially with this being in Ireland. I I think that I, I look I, I mean just be, just because it's in Ireland I don't know that all the judges are going to be Irish. I don't think that either, but I I just think that sometimes the crowd well, and everything else can sort of spread. Yes, that's what I was going to get to. I mean just yeah. I, I want to like note that fact, but at the same time, a lot of the, you know, we've seen judges kind of, it seemed like they might be swayed by the moment and the environment and that that can be a thing. Um I don't really know. Look, so so here's what we're looking at. We've got a guy like Queeley who also has an established ceiling, who did beat Pitbull, but I mean, you know, it was a doctor stoppage due to a cut. If he won it fair and square, though, and then we saw things kind of get corrected in the rematch, you know, and 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 that's just not. I I, I don't. I don't know how much stock you can really put into that. I think we've seen what he can do at his best, which is very good. But we know that there are that we know we have an idea what those limitations are. When you put him in there against a guy who's a better athlete and a better grappler, and someone who was able to get a good read on him with the striking and see where his head is going before he realizes that that's where his head is going and start tagging him, we can see that with Bendo. Problem is, 
do you trust Bendo? And I don't know how much I can trust him. And that's the thing. That's been the great disappointment with him. So uh, we're looking at a greatly diminished Benson Henderson, who's older, who's um, still relying on his athleticism for the greater part and still good at what he does. But the problem is, like, is he going to start fighting at his opponent's pace and start lulling and, and kind of falling back and, and just resting on his laurels in certain moments, taking his foot on the off the gas? I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't trust it. But I, it's not enough to the point where I can say, yes, I would choose – I would pick Peter Quilly to win this. I can't. I don't. And so I'm going to go reluctantly with Benson Henderson. Mookie is also going to go with Bendo. Another thing that should be noted is how much bigger Peter Quilly is than, than Bendo. There, there's a significant size advantage there along with the youth advantage that he'll enjoy. I just think that we are finally seeing Bendo unravel a little bit. And I'm not willing to put my faith completely in him. So I'm actually going to take the underdog here in Peter Quilly. So to recap... Both uh, Mookie and Victor are taking Benson Henderson. All of us are taking Yoel Romero. We are all taking Liam McCourt. And I believe we are all taking Mads Burnell. Correct? You, you, yes, we are. All right. So we only have one pick difference, and it is me taking Peter Queeley over Benson Henderson. I'm probably going to regret that, but I'm living like Victor today. Hey, you got to go hard, man. Listen, that's what it is. And we're both sober right now, I believe. So that's good. But we have plenty of time to correct that because you know how we do smoking that Zaza like Godfather 3. <laughs> so on that note, we are going to wrap the show. Please do me a favor. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez and still follow Mookie on Twicker, Twicker, Twitter, Twicker, 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 <laughs> at Mookie Alexander, myself at Crooklyn MMA, the show at Level Change Pod. We're also available on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. Listen, get on Instagram, get over to Victor's Instagram. It's Victor Sinister Rodriguez. My God, this man be cooking. <laughs> so check two it more out. two more weeks miami carnival i'm putting everybody on notice you, you see my mugshot on instagram too watch <laughs> i'm packing bail only, money in my backpack i want to see food i want to see people i want to see chicks and fancy headdresses i hope it's like brazilian carnival i hope that they mimic that well, it's, I bet it's the... caribbean it's an afro-caribbean thing so it's like a lot of trinidadian like very elaborate oh, so shit too it's gonna oh, be beautiful so the stuff that we always see rihanna at those those uh festivals mm -hmm. in her tiny little bikinis that's the kind of pictures that we all hope for so yes do do that and victor might even record with me on location so we might actually get a little tipsy victor on <laughs> on, on the uh, mic but anyways, do follow him on Instagram. Again, that's Victor Sinister Rodriguez. We both write for Bloody Elbows, so check us out there. That's bloodyelbow.com. Listen to the pre-recorded outro because Mookie still does those for us as well. And he will tell you where you can find this and all the other great Bloody Elbow shows and their associated platforms. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivisection, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Brooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and on bloodyelbow.com.